God's heart is redemptive in nature. God never quits on what he starts. He loves and saves to the uttermost no matter what the cost. In this three-part series, our goal is to understand and capture the redemptive heart of God so that we will learn to view life's situations with his redemptive heart and also learn to be co-workers with God in his redemptive process for things in our own lives as well as of those around us. Stay tuned for more. All right. Um, let's turn on the Bible to so Psalm 107. We're going to look at verse 2 and then we will stand up and make our declaration. Psalm 107 verse 2. The Bible says there in Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what God has done for you and in your life. And that's very important. When we make a proclamation or a declaration of what God has done for us, we are saying that, Lord, I am, I am appropriating what you've done for me. I'm making it mine. This is mine. So our declaration is important. You know, even concerning salvation, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So our declaration, our proclamation of what God has done for us is very important. It, it says, God, this is mine. I'm taking it for me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God wants us to say so. What he, whatever he's done for us, say it. Declare it. So we're going to say so now. Let's stand to our feet. And uh, we're going to Declare together what God's done for us, what God's done for us in His Word. So if you brought your Bible, hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word, I believe his word, and I live by his word. Christ is my master, and to him I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. Um, several months back, towards the end of last, uh, towards the end of last, maybe October, I'm not, I'm not very sure. I was just um, beginning to reflect on how we should respond to difficult situations in life. You know, when, when things don't really turn out the way you wanted it to turn out in life, uh, I don't know, it could be with your job, your career, or so many different things. But things just don't work out the way you want it to work out. Sometimes things could just go from good to bad to worse. And, and all of those things that, that we face, how should we respond to that? How should we, as 
believers, how should we respond to difficult situations in life? And, uh, and I just began to think about it, just you know, consider that. that and it's about that time that, that I was just drawn to the fact that God's heart is redemptive in nature. That God's heart is redemptive in nature. God never quits on what he starts. God loves and saves to the uttermost at any cost. And since you and I are called to be like him, we also need to have a redemptive heart. That when we look at situations, maybe in our own lives, or in the lives of other people, those around us, when we look at their circumstances, their situations, we need to view things with redemptive eyes. We need to have a redemptive heart. So, this morning we're going to begin a three-part series on the redemptive heart of God. We're going to talk about the redemptive heart heart of God. That our God is redemptive in nature. That when he looks at things and when things go from bad to worse, God doesn't press the help button. (laughs) Sorry, this has gone out of control. I don't know what to do now. I can't figure this out. He doesn't do that. What God does is he goes to whatever extent to redeem What's gone astray? His heart is set on turning what looks like ashes. His heart is set on creating something beautiful out of that. That's why the Bible says he gives beauty for ashes. His heart is set on rebuilding what's been torn down. His heart is set on recovering what has been lost. That's the redemptive heart of God. And I believe God wants us as his people to also carry that same heart, a redemptive heart in us. So that when we look at situations in our own life or in the lives of other people around us, that we will look at them through redemptive eyes. That we will look at them with a redemptive heart. And not give up and say, man, this is gone. There's no hope for you. See you in heaven. (laughs) No. That we will look, learn to... Look at things with the redemptive heart. And not only that, but because God has invited us to be co-workers with him, we must understand the redemptive process of God. How does God go about redeeming things back? Helping things regain glory that was lost. Rebuilding things, recovering things. How does God go about doing that? Because we are co-workers with him, we want to understand the redemptive process So that we can co-labor with God in bringing his redemptive work. Be it in our own lives or in the lives of people around us. Amen? Are you with me so far? So that's what we're going to do in these three Sundays. But let's talk about redemption. What is redemption uh, uh, about? What is it? Uh, When you look at the New Testament, 
uh, there are a couple of Greek words that are, con- that are continually used but in, and are translated redeem or redemption. And essentially, it means in the New Testament that those words are used in the understanding of, of uh, buying a slave out of slavery through the payment of a ransom. Causing a slave to be released. So somebody's gone into slavery. They're overpowered. They're oppressed. They're under control. Uh, they may be wrongfully treated and, and all of that. Oh, everything is going wrong in their lives. But somebody steps in, pays a ransom and sets them free. That's redemption. In the Old Testament, very similar. There are more different uh, Hebrew words used in the Old Testament uh, uh, for redeeming, redemption and so on. But here are some of the ideas in, the, in those words. It talks about deliverance of persons or property that have been sold for debt. So something's been taken away in debt, sometimes people or sometimes possessions. But delivering that, bringing it out of debt is redemption. Or deliverance from captivity, destruction, or even preservation from harm and danger is understood as redemption. Or release from an undesirable condition. Something's gone wrong, but setting it free from that undesirable condition. And you do it either through some divine intervention, like the payment of a ransom, or a substitutionary action, like making a sacrifice. That's redemption. So essentially, what is redemption? When something uh, deviates from its original plan and purpose and design, and you release it, you recover it, you restore it, you're saying that is Redemption. Something goes wrong. You're bringing it back to what it was supposed to be like. That is redemption. Are you with me so far? And God desires to do these very things. When things get out of hands, God always looks at how to redeem it, how to bring it back, how to restore it, how to uh, release it from whatever it's been subject to. Look at some verses here, just, just setting the groundwork here. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says this, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So Paul is saying, you know, God's just revealed to us a mystery about his will. That means till now it's not, what was not understood. But now this mystery is revealed. He's, he's making it known to us. What is God doing? This is what God's up to. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, or in the outworking, the, the, uh, the, the, the playing out of this entire period of time, God is working towards gathering everything back to himself. So, in spite of Lucifer's rebellion and in spite of man's fall, what is God doing? He's working towards this one thing, bringing everything back to himself. Bringing everything back to the state that he had had originally intended and designed. God's working towards that. So, 
There will come a time, obviously, when God will separate out the devils, separate out those who have uh, rejected the message of salvation and his provision of salvation, and he will bring everything back to its original intended design. He's working towards that. The message Bible puts it like this. It says, Ephesians 1.10, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, that's in Christ, everything in deepest heaven and everything on planet earth. That's what God's working toward. He's got a long-range plan. Amen? If you're with me, say amen. Or look at Colossians 1 and verse 20. It kind of brings up the same thing. It says, and by him, that's by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So God is going about getting everything, reconciling everything back to himself. Through the cross. That means Christ's death, Christ's redeeming death was intended to bring everything back to God. Are you with me? So when you look at your own life and you say like things in my life are not the way God intended, uh, the way it should be, whether it's your finances, your job, your family, your marriage, your home, your children, or whatever. And it's like, it's not the way. Listen, Christ died so that all of that could be reconciled back to himself. That's God's desire. That's what God has made provision for. That's God's heart. To see everything redeemed back to himself. And God wants us to carry his heart. Yes, God, I want to see everything redeemed, brought back. The Message Bible of Colossians 1.20 says this. It's kind of interesting. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, Christ's death. His blood that poured down from the cross. Everything that seems to be dislocated now and that's broken now, listen, God wants it all fixed and brought back together. And he's made a provision for it through Christ's death on the cross. So God is redeemer. He doesn't give up on something. He looks at how to see it brought back. How to see it regain its intended glory, its intended design. He is redeemer. And and so uh, what we are trying to do in these three Sundays as we go through this three-part message here is first of all, we want to capture God's heart, God's redemptive heart. So that in every situation of life, we will respond the same way. So God, you're redemptive in nature. Doesn't matter if things have messed up, things have gone wrong. You will bring something beautiful out of this. That you will turn my disaster into my destiny. That God, you will take something of all the broken pieces and get it all packed together and sing your song and proclaim your message through my life. Because you are redeemer. And the same thing for people around us. That when when people come to us, that we will respond to them with God's redemptive heart. Even if everybody else has given up on them, we will stand with them and say, look, there is a God in heaven who is your redeemer. He can turn things around for you. 
we will be redemptive in the way we work and we engage with people around us. Amen? We want to capture God's heart. And then we want to learn how to work with him through the redemptive process for our own lives and also for the lives of those around us. And that's what we will do in the coming Sundays. What I want us to do this morning is to look at some important redemption stories in the Bible where God is communicating his heart, communicating his redemptive heart to his people and trying to help them understand that, look, I am your redeemer. And no matter what happens, this is my intent. I want to see things redeemed back to myself. He communicates that to them. We want to look at a few of these redemption stories. The first one is the way is God's own dealings with his people Israel. As you look, read to the New Testament, there's one clear message that comes out. That God's people, as he chose them and, and with Abraham and his descendants, and he began to work with them in order to uh, reach the nations of this world. These people were stubborn, stiff-necked, and rebellious. I mean, that was who they were. And time and time again, they would mess up. They would uh, go into things that are wrong. They would do things that God never intended for them. They would mess themselves up. And over and over again, God steps in to redeem. God steps in to bring them out. God steps in to release them. God steps in to restore them over and over again. And he tells them, I am your redeemer. No matter how many times they mess up, he steps in. Some of the things that you and I would be familiar with, of course, one was their slavery, their captivity in Egypt. When they were slaves in Egypt, God steps in. Amazingly, he releases them out of slavery. An entire nation comes out of captivity in one night. Only God can do something like that. And they walk out into freedom and they walk towards their land of promise. And, 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 and he, he reiterates them. Exodus 15, 13. It says, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. So their coming out of Egypt was God's work of redeeming them. Bringing them out of the bondage they were in. In Psalm 78 and verse 35 It talks about the fact that they would very often go in and do the wrong things. And then it says, they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer. They would say, oh, God's our redeemer. Oh, God, help us out. And he would bring them out. But the fact is, the most high God is our redeemer. Why don't you put your right hand up and say this with me. The most high God is my redeemer. He redeems all things in my life. He releases them, restores them, recovers them to their intended glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. God is your redeemer. He's your redeemer. The most high God is your redeemer. The other thing we see about God's people is the fact that, uh, you know, when they went into Babylonian captivity, again, for their own wrongdoing, their own 
idolatry and idolatrous ways. And they go on going to captivity. 70 years there, God redeems them, brings them out. The book of Isaiah is an amazing book that contains so much of truth concerning redemption. Uh, and God is called Redeemer 13 times throughout that book. And God reminds his people, I am your Redeemer. No matter what you do, no matter how you mess up, I'm there with you. Just want you to look at Isaiah 40. There's an example, Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. It says, now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Look, people, I am your redeemer. I've redeemed you. And I'll be your redeemer over and over and over again. God revealed himself as redeemer. A second story of redemption uh, is in what God instituted in the life of the community of his people. So when God was giving instructions uh, to the people, how they should live out their life as a community, he put certain things in their daily lives, in their community living, that would point towards his heart and reveal his heart to them. We look at two of them today. And these not only reveal the heart of God, they were actually pointing to Jesus Christ. One of these was the year of Jubilee. So what God told his people is this, and you read about it in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. He told his people, guys, uh, once in 50 years, at the end of 49 years, 50th year will be your year of jubilee. In the year of jubilee, this is what I want you to do. Every slave should be released. Every land that is taken in debt should be given back to its original owner. It's a year of Tripoli. It's a year of restoration throughout the land. So when the 50th year came, they would blow the trumpet in the seventh month, announcing the Jubilee. And at that time, Every slave was free. Every land that had been taken away because of debt had to be given back to its original owner. So let's imagine during the 49 years, some man, you know, he became very poor. And and then he went into, we use the word slavery, but literally, he, you know, if you want to talk in modern terms, he signed a bond. I'm going to work for you for the next so many years. Now, as he worked, and even if he earned money, he still go, couldn't go out and be a free man because he had signed a bond. So what? The year of Jubilee came by. And in that year, every one of these bonds were cancelled. You are now a free man. You earn money, go live free. Or if somebody, somebody's land was acquired, taken into debt because they couldn't pay and, their, and the land was taken away. In the year of Jubilee, that land was restored back to them. So what was the message God was saying? Saying, look, I am a God who redeems. That's something I want to be part of the community. 
I want you also to be redemptive in the way you work with one another. Don't oppress one another. Don't hold somebody as lifelong slaves. Don't do that. Don't hold away something that actually belonged to somebody and because of their quote-unquote misfortune, they're not able to have it. Don't hold it away from them. I want everything to be restored. That's my heart. Let's read a few scriptures here from Leviticus 25 just to get an idea of this. Verse 10 says, Leviticus 25, 10, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you and each of you shall return to his possession and each of you shall return to his family. In the year of jubilee, Each of you shall return to his possession. That's verse 13. And verse 14. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. Why was God announcing the year of Jubilee? Because he wanted no oppression in the land. People, I want you to live free. Continuing on, verse 39 through 41. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave, as a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you, and shall serve you until the year of jubilee, and then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his family, he shall return to the possession of his fathers. That's God's heart. Restoration, redemption. The beautiful thing is this whole thing about the year of Jubilee was actually a clue. I don't know how many of you know Blue's Clues. <laughs> when Joshua and Ruth are growing up, he used to watch those videos. You know, kids videos. He put clues everywhere. So God put a clue. This is pointing to something greater. And the Lord Jesus Christ came in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, verse 19. When he began his ministry, he announced this. I have come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Meaning, I've come to proclaim the Lord's year of jubilee. We are in the year of the Lord's jubilee. A season and a time of restoration. That's what Jesus came to be for us. He is the fulfillment of Of that year of jubilee. Where everything will be restored. That's God's heart. A third picture of redemption. And again this is something God put into the life of the community of his people. It's called. Which commonly known as kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. Kinsman simply means a close relative. A family member. Where a family member could now play the role of a redeemer. So, imagine if there was a person who, you know, went bankrupt and therefore he had to give himself uh, into some sort of a bond and and start working uh, and he couldn't get himself out of that. God put into the life of the community saying, then someone close to him, the closest one to him, should step in. Or at least has the option of stepping in and redeeming him. Pay his debt for him and set him free from that bond. Or if that land is being taken away by somebody else. Then a kinsman, a close relative steps in. Pays that debt, 
and redeems the land. I want you to practice this amongst yourselves. Are you with me so far? So God said, I want you to live community life like this. Or, if a, a man dies and leaves behind a widow, no children, then the closest one who is uh, not married, I encourage him to marry her so that this widow was not left as a widow but can have children and redeem that for the deceased, the one who passed away. So this whole idea of kinsman redeemer is something that, that God put in the life uh, of his people. A powerful uh, thing as part of their community having to do with redeeming uh, property, financials, of, of financial uh, people out of financial dis- difficulties or even homes and lives and marriage. The book of Ruth is a powerful story of the kinsman redeemer. How many of you read the book of Ruth? Okay, so I know Ruth, but I haven't read her book. It's okay. It's in the Bible. It's only four chapters. You can go home and read it. But it's a beautiful book. This book is, records the life of a young lady named Ruth uh, and what happened in her life. And this took place during the time of the judges. So if you, uh, looking back at Old Testament history, we had the time up till Joshua. The people came into the promised land. And then there was a 400 period between Joshua and the first king, King Saul. And during those 400 years, the land of Israel, they had what would be called as judges. They didn't have kings, they had judges, people who would judge and, and administer the civil justice in the land. Where they had about 14 different judges during that 400 year period. So during that 400 year period is the story of Ruth that took place during, during that time. The book of Ruth is beautiful. You can study Ruth's life and she's called a virtuous woman in, 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 in the book of Ruth. And, and you can study her. Just doing a character study on, 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 on her life. Why she was called a virtuous woman is very powerful. There's another very important character in the book of Ruth, Boaz, the man Boaz. He's again a great example of a, of a man of great strength, character and, and nobility, a noble person. And it's great to study his life. But in addition to the, these two great characters in the book of Ruth, is this wonderful playing out of the kinsman redeemer story. And I'll just narrate very quickly the story of Ruth. So, there was a man, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi. They lived in Bethlehem, in the district of the region of Judah. There was famine in the land, so they moved over to a foreign country, neighboring region, Moab. They dwelt there during the time of the famine. Uh, Elimelech and Naomi had two sons. And uh, the sons married women from Moab. That means they married outside of the people of Israel. Married foreigners, Moabites. And Elimelech died, his two sons died. And so here was Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Oprah. Orpah, rather. Not Oprah. Okay. 
Now, when Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech, and, 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 and her two sons died, Naomi said, look, I've lost everything. I have nothing here in this land. Let me at least go back to Bethlehem, my hometown. The Bible says, Orpah kissed her and said bye. But Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So Ruth, a Moabitess, a foreigner, she made a deliberate choice to stay faithful and loyal to her mother-in-law. The mother-in-law said, you know, your husband's a passed away. Go back to your own people. Follow your own gods. Uh, get married to your, you know, get married, carry on with life. But Ruth said no. And so you have those beautiful verses in Ruth 2, and I think it's verse 16, 17 or something like that, where Ruth speaks those powerful words. Nice for a wedding ceremony. <laughs> but it's really powerful. For her to make this determined, deliberate choice, saying, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stick with you. So you see that beautiful uh, characteristic of Ruth, a loyal woman. Where you go, I'll go. Where your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And so Naomi comes back with Ruth to Bethlehem, but they are so poor. They have nothing now. In fact, the land that Elimelech had has now been taken away. It's gone. Nothing left. And they are so poor. Now God had instituted something very important in the life of his people. Another thing was that during harvest time, when you harvest the fields, he told them, do not harvest the corners of the fields. Leave it alone. Let the poor of the land come and take that grain for themselves so they can live off of it. So when Naomi and Ruth came back into Bethlehem, it was harvest time. And Ruth decided, being as poor as they were, she would go to these fields and gather those grains from the corners of the, of the fields, bring it home for herself and her mother-in-law. And so Ruth does that. As a poor lady, she goes and she gathers the grain on the edges of the field and she brings it back. And Ruth chapter 3 is, is, is so amazing. It says, and it happened that she entered the field of Boaz. Now, in God's, as far as God is concerned, things don't just happen. Somehow God orchestrated her into the field of a man named Boaz. And so in the corner of that field, from morning to evening, she's gathering grain. She takes it home for her mom, her mother-in-law and herself. And, and uh, one day, Boaz, he's a wealthy man in Bethlehem. He comes to his field and he says, who's that young lady there who's gathering? And they say, it's Ruth. And you know, by that time, news has gone all over town. That there is a lady amongst us, her name is Ruth. And she's done the most unusual thing. She is a woman of Moab, but yet she chose to stick with her mother-in-law and come all the way and settle down in Bethlehem. So her name is spread through town. So Boaz is very aware of Ruth. Oh, that's that lady. And then he gives instructions to his men. He says, don't trouble her. Let her gather as much grain. In fact, give her extra. And let it take. Because he's so impressed that, that she would do such a thing to stay with her mother-in-law. 
And when Ruth goes back and tells Naomi, uh, uh, Naomi asks her, whose field are you gathering from? And uh, Ruth tells her, I'm gathering grain in the, in, the, in the field of a man named Boaz. Now this is what Naomi says. This is in Ruth 2 and verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Why? God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. Naomi went on. That man Ruth is one of our circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours. So Naomi says, Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. He's one of those people who's eligible to become a kinsman redeemer. Or the message Bible says covenant redeemer. And then what you find as you read on in the book of Ruth is Naomi tells Ruth what to do to appeal to Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. And she follows those instructions. So when Boaz realizes that Ruth is appealing for him to be their kinsman redeemer, Boaz says, look, there's one relative who is closer than me to you. Let's go and ask him first if he's willing to be your kinsman redeemer. If he... If he opts out of it, then I will step in. And so they go and bring this close relative. They're sitting along with the elders of the land. And this you read in Ruth uh, chapter 4 and verse 5. Boaz tells this man that he's, he has the option now of stepping in as a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. And then he tells him, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Meaning saying, look, when you step in as a kinsman redeemer, not only do you need to recover the land for Naomi, but you also must marry Ruth. That guy opts out. Right? I don't know why he did it. He opts out. <laughs> and so now Boaz steps in. And Boaz steps in as a kinsman redeemer. He buys the land back for Naomi and he marries Ruth. Here was a woman. Was so poor. Nothing. Ten years of marriage. No children. Decided to stay with her mother-in-law. Coming into a strange and foreign land. Nothing in life. Because of the role of a kinsman redeemer. She's taken out from that place. Of, of that lowly place. And now she becomes the wife of one of the wealthiest men in Bethlehem. Given honor and dignity for her life. God blesses them. And she becomes the mother of a man named Obed. Who then has a son named Jesse. Who then has a son named David, the king of Israel. And when you look at Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. Ruth is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So can you imagine what a kinsman redeemer did for Ruth? A woman who did not even belong to the land of Israel or the people of, of the Jews. A Moabitess. Because of a kinsman redeemer, she was brought in, elevated and brought into the lineage of the son of the living God. So the book of Ruth is a powerful story of what 
a kinsman redeemer was intended to do for God's people. Redeem. And again, it points to Jesus Christ. Our kinsman redeemer. The one who brought us under his wings and takes us from our lowly estate and brings us into being sons and daughters of God. Amen? Two more stories and we'll close. The next story that, we talk, that talks to us about redemption is that of the prodigal son in the New Testament. You and I are very familiar with that in Luke chapter 15. Where this man who had two sons, the younger son decides to take his inheritance and go away and just waste it all. Spend it all. And although the story does not carry other elements of redemption, of, of sacrifice and all of that, it reveals to heart us the redemptive heart of God. What do we see the father doing? Some of us, fathers, we would have been walking to the door and saying, waiting for my son to come back. If he does even set his foot near the door, I'll teach him a life lesson he will never forget. <laughs> I'll put him in a cage and whack him till he, you know, he remembers never to leave home again. You don't find the father in this story doing that. Every day, he would wake up and go stand at the door, longing to see his son with one thing in his heart. If I see him, I'm going to take him, restore him, and celebrate him. That was his heart. How do we know that? Because on the day his son did actually show up, what did he do? Jesus in his story says the father runs to him. If that father was typifying God, that's the only time you find God running in the Bible. He runs out to the son and he embraces him. He says, my son who was lost is now found. He brings him in and he says, bring the best clothes. Put a ring on his finger. Um, get the fatted calf and let's celebrate. He restores honor, dignity, and brings the son back into what he was originally meant to be. The son was prepared to be a servant. He said, I'll go back to my father. I'll tell him, I'm not even fit to be one of your servants. Make me lesser than your servant. But look at the redemptive heart of God revealed to us through this story. That's what God seeks to do. The last picture of redemption is that of the story of redemption itself in the Bible. The great story of redemption. The great plan of redemption. That we who had wandered away from God. In fact become enemies to God. God will say. I want to restore you. I want to bring you back. That's God's heart. We go back to those verses in Colossians 1. 20 to 22. It says. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and blameless and, also, and above reproach in his sight. What did God do? We were enemies. But he reconciled to him, us to himself. And he makes us holy and without blame. That's the redemptive heart of God. 
His love knows no bounds. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from his love. It remains constant through time and through all the circumstances and situations of life. It remains constant. And he saves to the uttermost. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So you might think, man, I've, I've really gone so far. I've done all the things I said I'd never do. My life is a total mess. But the Bible says he's able to save you to the uttermost. That's God. He saves to the uttermost. So what's the redemptive heart of God? I just like to summarize it this way. That God's heart is always set on recovering what is lost. Regaining what is wasted. Restoring what is ruined. Releasing what is bound. Rebuilding what is destroyed. Beautifying what is marred. Healing what is wounded. Renewing what is worn down. Reviving what is dying. Resurrecting what is dead. That's the heart of God. And so this morning, I want to invite us to embrace the redemptive heart of God. You and I should be people who have a redemptive heart in life. In situations for our own personal lives and when we look at other people, we should look at them with a redemptive heart and through God's redemptive eyes. When we view people in situations of life, we need to view them with God's redemptive heart. You know, if a friend or someone known to you has messed up their lives, I mean, it could not get even worse than this, and they come to you, how would you respond to them? Would you respond, would you relate to them with God's redemptive heart and say, look, I know you really messed up, things are really bad, but because God is Redeemer, there is hope. That God can restore your life. He can bring dignity. He can bring honor. He can help you regain destiny and purpose. That I will never tell somebody. You're useless. There's no hope for you. I'll never do that. Because of God's redemptive heart. What if. A son or a daughter. Has gone astray. What would you do? Would you look at them with God's redemptive heart and say, God, no matter what their present situation is, you are God who can restore, recover, regain, rebuild. Is that how you look at them? Or would you write them off? God doesn't. What if your marriage Your home is falling apart. Would you look at it with God's redemptive heart? And say, God, that in spite of all of this, 
you're going to make something good come out of it. I know if, if, you're, you know, if, if your marriage is already over and all of that, there is no, we don't know whether the husband or the wife will come back. It's not about that. In spite of all of that, would you believe that God can redeem your life and make your life beautiful once again? It's not about the husband or the wife. It's about you. That God can redeem you. My Bible says that God picks us up out of the miry pit and he sets our feet upon the rock and he puts a new song in our mouth. Many will see it and be glad. Do you have that? Or you say, my life is forever ruined. It's gone. What if your own life Things personal, your finances, your job situation, something else has gone from good to bad to worse. Would you have faith in God's redemptive heart for you personally? That God, no matter how bleak, no matter how bad situations are today, I am looking at your heart and your heart is redemptive in nature. And you can turn all of this around. That's what you want to do. You want to see things restored. You want to see me return to my possessions. You want me to, you want to see me regain what's been lost. To recover. What if a dream you've been carrying is crushed right before your eyes? Like to a point where you think like this can never be in my life. It can never happen. Would you have faith in God's redemptive heart that God is still your redeemer? That he can redeem it, bring it back, resurrect it, give you life and hope, even if what you were believing God seems to be crushed before your eyes. This morning, I just want us to catch God's redemptive heart. That's who our God is. His redeemer. He Never quits on what he starts. He loves and saves to the uttermost. No matter what the cost. And he's calling us to be like him. Whether it has to do with our own personal situations. Or when it has to do with us relating to the people around us. Let's do it with God's redemptive heart. Amen. We're going to take a few moments to pray. I want you to remain seated, please. And let's call our worship team up. and Just pray right now as you're seated. And say, God, would you redeem things in my life? I don't know what it is that you need to pray about. It could be something personal. It could be something concerning your family, your job, your finances, whatever. You know, each one of us have different things. And you say, God... When I view these situations of my life, I want to look at it with your redemptive heart. That no matter what has happened till now, the past is not going to dictate my future. My future is determined by the fact that my God is my redeemer. That his redemptive work comes into effect in my life and causes restoration, causes renewing, causes reviving, causes releasing of things. Would you embrace that? 
But you also pray and say, God, when I look at those around me, if they come to me, no matter how broken they may seem, no matter how, how difficult their situation is, I will still believe for them that you can make something good come out of them, those situations. You can make something good happen for their lives. Would you take a moment just to pray? Father, this morning, we're asking God for your redemptive heart. We're asking for your redemptive work, Father, to take place. To regain what was lost, Father. Many of us here, that we say, God, there used to be those good times. There used to be those times when I saw the hand of God. I saw the blessing of God. Father, you are redeemer. That you cause your people to regain, to recover what has been lost. That you're the God who turns our mourning into dancing. You're the God who gives beauty for ashes. Thank you, O God. So we're welcoming you, Holy Spirit, right now, just to come to a powerful work of redemption. Release, Lord, a redemptive work in the lives of your people today. Release a redemptive work in the lives of your people today, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I just want to pray for someone here. You have been part of the music industry. You've, you've, you've been involved in it, in the music industry. But where you are right now, you've lost a lot. A lot of that you had has been lost. And that's what you're praying for. You're saying, God, I want to recover that. I want to regain that. Is anyone here like that? Just put your hand up. I want to pray with you. Just put your hand up. You've been in the music industry. You've lost so much. I see one hand. Anybody else there? Anybody else? Anybody else? Just put your hand up. You've been there? Father, we just pray. And I just pray and I release, Lord, that redemptive work of God in that person's life, God. Those hands that are up, Lord. The God, you would release redemptive work. And I speak redemption to that. That what has been lost, what's been gone, what's been taken away, will be brought back into their lives in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I just want you to receive it. Today is your day. Just receive it. Say, God, I'm taking it. What's been lost, I'm receiving it back. In the name of Jesus. God, whatever is gone in the past, you will cause it to be restored and recovered. And even more, oh God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you can put your hand down. Father, we just thank you. You're the God who restores. You're the God who recovers things. You're the God who brings things back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 
just want you to go ahead and pray and just believe God for things that you want restored, recovered in your lives. Just believe God for it. We thank you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give you thanks, Father God. We give you thanks. Father, we just thank you for your words. And we thank you that you are our Redeemer, God. That you are at work in our lives, redeeming everything back to yourself. And Father, we just pray, and I just pray, God, that, that your work of redemption, the power of your redemptive work, Lord, will just take place in each of our lives, in our circumstances, situations. And we will see things being redeemed to yourself by the power of the cross that you will be glorified in every situation of life we thank you Father thank you in Jesus name Amen the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and always in Jesus name Amen We trust that this message was a blessing to you We'd love to hear from you You can email us at contact at apcwo.org Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources Thank you for listening and God bless you